Hey guys, welcome to episode nine of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. On today's show, we have a guest co-host, Joe Zija. Joe is a professional voiceover talent located in LA, and he has voiced a lot of commercial work as well as some animation and video game projects. Joe is also a top booking talent on online casting sites. Before we jump into the episode, a quick reminder, if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode of the show, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com questions. And if you want to check out the show notes for this episode with links to everything that Joe and myself talk about, you can find those at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 009. And if you like the show, please remember to leave a rating and review on iTunes. And you could also check out the show on YouTube and on the Voice Over Roadmap website. So let's jump into episode nine with guest co-host Joe Zija. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Hey, hey, Mike. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate uh, you coming on the show. I got a lot of good questions from the audience and some questions of my own. So uh, yeah, really excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So uh, before we jump into all the questions, I just want to start out with a little bit about you and introduce you to people who might not be familiar with you or your work. So can you just talk a little bit about, give us a little brief overview of your background and also how you initially got into VO at the very beginning? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Joe Zija. Yeah, it's pronounced just like zebra, except not really. <laughs> so everyone always asks me that as like the first question. <laughs> I got into VO sort of almost as an accident. I was uh, actually in the Air Force for most of my adult life. And um, when I was, after I had left the Air Force, I was working for the government for a little bit. And one Saturday I was working on reserve duty and I was talking to a friend of mine on Google chat. And I was like, hey, you know what? I've always wanted to try voiceover. Um, and actually I said voice acting it, like thinking, you know, anime, cartoons, sure, video yeah. games, stuff like that. And he was like, well, there's, uh, there's this website called voices.com that my company, one of my old companies used to hire, um, voiceover artists from, for corporate stuff. Why don't you check it out? So I did. Um, I had some equipment from, you know, my hobbyist musician days and, uh, I laid down something. I actually booked the first thing I ever auditioned for, which wow. was, uh, a little panda bear speaking Arabic to children. It was uh, sort of like, um, I actually don't know if it was English as a second language or Arabic as a second language, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, basic stuff about like counting from one to 20, saying a few things, shapes and colors. And I had enough Arabic la uh, language experience to cover that. Yeah. Uh, just put on a funny voice. It came in handy. <laughs> yeah, it did come in handy. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, someone paid me for that. That was pretty cool. Um, can I do that again? So I just sort of dove headfirst into the online casting realm to start, I started auditioning for whatever I could come up with, even if I didn't think I fit. You know, I, I just started talking to a microphone as often as I can, I could with as many different job types as I could. And it really just kind of snowballed. Within uh, about eight months, I was talking to my government job and saying, hey, um, either I need to go part time or I need to quit because I'm, I'm doing better as a voice actor. And uh, I, I can't lead both lives anymore because mm -hmm. it, was, it was becoming extremely stressful. I was working. 16 hours a day. We just had our first kid. It was, it was nuts. Yeah. Um, so they did, they, it, they created a position for me to stay halftime for the next eight months or so. And then uh, in October of 2014, I left the government world behind. About eight months after that, I guess everything seems to come in eight month spurts. <laughs> I moved to, I moved to Los Angeles to kind of hunt the big game because I was still, you know, everything was out of my, my home studio, which I then built up using all the money that I had made right. as a voice actor while I had a steady job. And um, yeah, I moved to LA to, to hunt the big gigs. And here I am. Awesome. So you didn't really have any uh, like acting experience, whether stage experience or anything like that beforehand? 
Not even remotely. Yeah. That's funny. You know, I, I have a pretty similar background to you. I mean, I also started on Voices.com. Um, I had a music background, so I had the home studio. So that was nice because there wasn't that obstacle of, oh, I got to go spend a couple hundred bucks and get a mic and get an interface and maybe a new computer. Um, same thing. I just kind of started auditioning, got a job that covered that, you know, first month. And I was like, all right, maybe let's try it another month. and got a job that covered that month. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, things snowball from there. Um, when you're putting yourself out there and auditioning and... Uh, like you, I also, yeah, I didn't have much of an acting background. So that was, I guess, you know, a crutch at the beginning, um, you know, and something that I had to get better at. And then what did you do? Did you uh, go the coaching route? Did you sort of just self-teach, self-educate online with books? Uh, how did you approach that? You know, it was mostly learning by experience, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's um, that could go good and bad. You know, if you establish bad habits and stuff sure, like that. But yeah. I didn't do any coaching for the first year or so, at least. Really, yeah, not until like mid-2015. I don't think I started looking at particular coaches. When I was trying to, to, to book the bigger gigs, I was trying to get into national commercials and video right. games and stuff like that. Um, J. Michael Collins took me under his wing um, with a little bit of business sense, uh, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, but we never had any any coaching per se. Every once in a while, I'd send somebody an MP3 or something. You're like, hey, you know, how does this sound? Am I getting this correct? And, you know, I had all kinds of help establishing the right way to do things. I had contacted George Whittem at Edge Studio to help me kind of fine tune the EQ and compression so I could have something to use. Yeah. And, and um, you know, J. Michael Collins helped me out with the business sense. I eventually hooked up with a manager that I was with for a while um, who kind of helped me out with the who's who and here's how you actually build a, a, a traditional career, even though you're not really in a traditional um, mm -hmm. mode anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, so got some kind of like, you know, direction from these people to push you and you know make sure you're going on the right path and then took things yourself and uh yeah putting the time that's great yeah did you um so do you have any sort of big moments or milestones that stand out from any any time really from the beginning of your career to now whether it be a big job or just a big step you took or something that was really a big inflection point for you you know you kind of remember your first i remember booking my first series of national commercials uh for the golf channel Nice. Um, yeah, cool. Back in 2014 or 2015. Um, you know, I, and uh, when I got to LA eight months after, let's say maybe 10 months after I got to LA, I ended up booking the role of Fox McCloud in um, this, the Nintendo Star Fox anime, mm -hmm. which was, I mean, like, I don't know if you're a gamer, but if you say Fox McCloud to anybody that, <laughs> you know, grew up with a Nintendo, they kind of freak out. Yeah, I had this game, the uh, N64 game. I remember it. Yeah. Okay. So when someone tells you you're playing Fox McCloud, you know, you, you kind of lose your stuff a little bit. Yeah. So that, that was definitely a big moment for me. Um, there have been some other things that I, I have had the opportunity to work on within the last six months or so that I can't talk about yet because games have long production cycles. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple where I'm still not totally convinced that they meant to hire me. Like they, <laughs> they certainly, no, you certainly aren't looking for Joe Zicci to play that iconic role. You, you can't be, you can't be serious. Um, so I, I don't think I'll believe it until I see my name in the credits. That's awesome. So yeah, so like character kind of stuff, uh, you know, games and animation, that's kind of the thing that you, I mean, I, I, as a voiceover talent, you kind of wanted to cast a wide net and do different kinds of work, but you like doing, would you say that that's like top of your list for the kind of work that you love getting? Yeah, it's it's by far the most fun. It's also yeah. tends to be the most difficult and least lucrative. But there's, <laughs> you know, there's a there's a creative payoff that you get when you are able to act characters and tell stories and uh mm -hmm. you know, the the more you do it, the more you see feedback from people about how you changed either their point of view or even their day. You know, you probably won't do that with a 2-minute web video about a new app, 
but you certainly can do it sure. uh, yeah. in in an anime series, you know, or a video game or a cartoon or, you know, those things can have some very powerful effects on the people that watch them. And that's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. And they play a bigger, you know, a bigger role in people's lives than just some commercial that they're going to see once, twice and move on, you know, something of that's course. a game or, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, so let's move on to some questions, uh, starting with my own that I have for you. So correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I read somewhere that you do, I think the number was around 80 auditions per day, and maybe that's changed, so you'll correct me. But um, is that still accurate? And um, is that a good indication of about how much you audition on average? I'm sure at not every day is exactly the same, but is that a rough average? I would say that um, it used to be that way, just based on the fact that, you know, I used two main uh, online casting sites to to cultivate clients and get new work and voices.com and voice123. Mm-hmm. Each of them has changed the way that they operate over the last couple of years, often resulting in in sort of stovepiping the amount of auditions I receive. So now the opportunities don't exist for me to, to audition up to eight gotcha. times a day. I'd say I'm probably closer to 40 now based okay. on all that stuff. And then, you know, my agent Atlas here in uh, LA sends me a ton of stuff every day um, now that I'm getting to read on. So, you know, I might read five to 10 times a day for them. And yeah, it's, uh, so yes, I'd still audition a lot. And I was remarking to somebody the other day that it's amazing that as voice actors, the vast majority of our time is unpaid labor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, all we do is audition and, yeah. and, uh, you know, the jobs take such little time mm-hmm. compared to, compared to how much time you spend auditioning. Yeah. yeah I, I audition, I audition an awful lot. Um, that was the way I tackled the industry. I, I decided that I was just gonna. I could. I had found a, a way to establish a good workflow. Do. I, I was a. I became a very competent reader. Uh, do most things in one take. Uh huh. And uh, not worry over editing and fretting. And is my performance perfect for this explainer video for T-shirts? Or you know, um, try not to inject a ten million dollar advertising mentality into a four hundred dollar production. Mm-hmm. And that saved me. Saved me some time. Yeah, no, that's super impressive. Even 40 a day, I mean, 80 a day too, it's crazy. But um, can you, so can you take us through your process a little bit, I guess, in terms of starting with how do you discern between this is an audition that I should actually audition for, or this is something I should pass on, and then like, how do you actually, you know, how do you actually record, edit and do it? I'm assuming pretty quickly if you're doing 40 to 80 a day. Um, so can you just like walk us through a little bit of your, your process, your audition stage of your day? Sure. You know, it all kind of depends on... Um where I'm sourcing the audition from. Okay. So if I'm getting auditions from my agents, uh, particularly in the LA or New York markets, I know that those auditions are for large, big paying jobs that require a lot of nuance. Mm -hmm. The people that write a 30 second commercial for Coca-Cola, in many cases, their advertising budget is in the tens of millions. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and that's that's not an exaggeration. It's people spend an incredible amount of time and effort coming up with just the right pictures, just the right words, and they have very specific requirements for you to deliver that. You're the messenger for that tens of millions of dollars of of ad revenue or ad uh, budget. So yeah, you got to spend some more time trying to figure out you know what their message is, who the audience is, and you know subtext, looking behind it, et cetera. And the same thing goes with you know bigger AAA video games or or network animation. There are complex stories being told there with complex characters, uh, often who have pages and pages and pages of backstory. Somebody poured their life into that character, yeah. and you need to you know do the do the work and give the creation of that character some respect in how much time you put into it. So you know th- those um, pretty much if I'm getting those from my agents, I, I don't 
pass because they their job is to figure out can is this something Joe would be good at? Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear his take on it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pass. I, I very rarely pass on anything from my agents unless um, there's a, either a conflict, like I have a a spot already running in the same sure, category. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Or if um, you know it's it's a non union job and maybe either they're not paying attention to the budget or whatever and they you know it doesn't make the budget doesn't make sense for a non-union all buyout stuff mm-hmm. which is becoming more prevalent yeah, so yeah. I'm finding myself passing on it more often cool and then what about like so from casting sites do you just take a quick look at the specs do you go by young adult middle-aged senior uh what's your sort of process there well the the websites kind of do a little bit of the work for you in that they're if you define yourself as being of a certain age and uh you know voice quality they're not going to give you a 60 year old grumbly man so there's a little bit of uh automation that eases up the process there. Mm-hmm. usually if i'm going through casting sites i am immediately slashing auditions based on their budget um, okay and then i'll then i'll slash another round based on their usage and budget so mm-hmm. like I, you know i'm not going to do anything below a certain price point and i'm certainly not going to do a national commercial for three hundred dollars sure because, and that's because that's ridiculous <laughs> don't do that you voice see actors. them you don't see them on that. there though yep you see if them you're listening to this don't do it <laughs> um yeah no that is nuts and you do see it yeah that kind of stuff so yeah but everything else you know especially if it stretches my comfort zone a little bit that's a good thing yeah definitely you know online casting sites are the best places to make incredible mistakes because there's <laughs> so much you know the volume is so huge if you screw up five percent of your auditions yeah who cares you know yeah, like there's if, so many if, more if coming. you do something completely off spec or you decide to take it in a completely different direction who cares you know yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah like you said i mean they, they they're gonna keep coming in so there's is a nice uh flow of them and um so when you're actually recording them are you sort of batching things and saying all right let me uh get from the mic i'll knock out 10 15 20 or do you just all day you know when they're coming in are you sort of jumping on them quickly all right let me do this one get it out and then go back to whatever i was doing and kind of handle it that way Every single workflow and time management expert on the planet will tell you to batch your tasks. Okay. <laughs> Always batch your tasks. There is there is no reason, especially for like, I am not going to run back to my microphone for a $300 pay to play mm-hmm. audition that pops up. If it mm-hmm. goes away, fine. There's going to be 60 others that come in over the course of a week. Um, so, and, and it also, it, it, it informs your reads too. If you're acting all panicked and desperate about, you know, the fact that you have to run out to do this tiny audition... I'm, no, yeah, you're no, going to sound true. you're going to sound panicked and, yeah. and desperate. It'll come through. Um, so yes, the, one of the most powerful things I think I do from my workflow perspective is is task batching. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Now I'm at a point uh, now where I hired um, a brilliant assistant almost two years ago, a year and a half ago now, and she basically, other than the casting sites, which you know she can't really inject herself into that workflow in any uh-huh. way that makes sense, but. I don't even look at my email anymore. I All these jobs and uh, requests, personal requests will come in, edit requests, job requests, whatever. And uh, she will rack and stack them and put them in a queue for me. So now my job is I walk into the booth, I read everything down, I send everything off and I walk away. That's great. Um, yeah. And I do it all at the same time. If it's not in there when, you know, and I'll do, I'll do different runs, you know, a couple times a day. And uh, if it's not in there, when it's when I'm done, then it doesn't get read until the next time I go there. Because most people don't need an hour, you know, in like I need this within two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And if, if they do, then, you know. Yeah, they'll stress that and urgent. Yeah. They'll I mean, they, that. they appreciate it, but like, yeah. 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 It's not urgent necessarily. So most she's doing, time, yeah. she's doing your editing for you, right? On those projects? She does not, she does not do my editing. I do oh, have okay. a, an editor that I, like a freelance editor that I hire when I do e-learning stuff. If ah, I need gotcha. to put something into 40 files or whatever. And sure. I, and I'm, you know, 
have him take out all my breaths and click errors and then I'll send that off to the client. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So basically she's like, you know, just organizing your workload for the day. You don't have to go through, comb through emails, yeah. answer this, she's answer my that. Pers- personal assistant, not awesome. necessarily my audio editor or whatever. Okay. So your workflow for casting site auditions, agency auditions, you're handling both obviously stepping in front of the mic and recording and the editing and submission of those all yourself. Yeah. Right? And I will okay. typically read everything that's in my queue. Uh-huh. before I will step out of the booth and then mix down everything that's in my queue and gotcha. then I will send everything that's in my queue. I, so I'm, I'm doing I'm batching similar tasks. Gotcha. I will not read, mix down, and send. Read, mix down, send. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm saying like I'll wake up in the morning, I'll comb through whatever's there and then, yeah, I'll, you know, whatever it is, 10, 12, 15, I'll do those, record them all, edit them yep. all, submit them all. And then, you know, it's on to the next batch later in the day. Occasionally, I'll, you know, jump in front of the mic for a one job if it's something from an agent that's really great and, you know, it, I'm the perfect specs for it, something like that. Um, but yeah, like you said, like, I'm not going to just go, especially if I'm in the middle of something, like working on another project or whatever it is to sort of just, you know, cut things and just jump for a very small job or something that's not a perfect fit. You know, I don't think it's super necessary or makes a ton of sense. Right. But uh, yeah, no, that's all. That's great. So it sort of leads in pretty well to my next question, which is that as a voiceover talent, uh, you're an entrepreneur and you are working for yourself and you're making your own schedule and deciding what needs to get done and when it needs to get done. So what are some ways that you sort of manage your time? And um, I know that you're also an author and that you do some music composition and you have a family and outside hobbies. So how do you specifically balance things and make sure that you're putting the appropriate amount of time where it needs to be so that you can you know, be successful in all these things? And I know you have an assistant, so that's going to play into it. But uh, yeah, what are some other things that you do? Yeah, to be t- completely honest with you, that balance is one of the most difficult things that I struggle with daily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't always give all of myself to any particular area and, and figuring out when to give me to what can be really tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I've kind of got the the VO thing down to like kind of a mad scientist thing where I can accomplish a lot of the auditions and stuff within a, a small time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, if my, you know, if I don't get sent out, um, to do a gig at a studio or audition at a specific place, I may only be in the booth for three hours a day, four hours a day or so. Okay. A lot of that burden is taken up by my assistant sorting out my emails and, and queuing things up for me, which is, which is great. I eventually got the idea to, to hire an assistant after reading Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, mm-hmm. which if you've never read it, I, it will change the way you think about your business and what is important for you to concentrate on and what is not important for you to concentrate on. Yeah, a lot of automation and uh, outsourcing and that kind of stuff, right? Automation, outsourcing, and just understanding the difference between something that's important and something that's urgent. You know, Uh like, uh, yeah, everything's important, but almost nothing is urgent. Almost nothing requires you to break whatever you're doing and step away to to do something else. Right, right, right. You know, for the most part, as far as writing goes, I, I uh, we just had our, our second child, so my my schedule kind of got thrown uh, to the wind. <laughs> sure. But for the most for the most part, um, I was writing for like one to two hours every morning before before like the real voiceover day kicked off. Uh huh. So that's that's where I kind of fit that in, and um, you know, I just kind of drop things in as as I as I can. So you don't really rigidly schedule, like like you just said, when you were writing in the morning, did you have on your calendar, okay, every morning I'm up, whatever, nine o'clock, 9.30, I'm writing for two hours. Was it like that Not or just like, okay. I've tried, um, I've tried different 
ways to structure my time because I was always used to, you know, as a, as a government employee, you have structure, you clock in and you clock out mm-hmm. and everything in between those two times is considered work, sometimes to the detriment of the taxpayer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a couple of times I was like, yeah, I don't feel very focused. All right. So I'm going to do voiceover run one from 10 to 11. I'm going to write from, from nine to 11 or whatever. And I'm going to go to the gym from three to four. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that was like, I structured my whole day like that. Yeah. But as a freelancer, it, doesn't necessarily work um, because, you know, all it takes is one call from your agent being like, hey, you got to get down to Kalmanson for an audition here at two o'clock. Yeah. And you're not going to be like, uh, sorry, that's my <laughs> that's my gym time. Yeah. Uh, I'll be doing squats. You know, like that's yeah. <laughs> that's not acceptable. So yeah. you have to maintain your flexibility. Yeah, and no, so, I've, like, yeah, yeah, I've found the same thing. I've tried that same thing and uh, yeah, had this exact same experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know it adapts at different phases of of my life and of my career. I've I've changed things around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely tried that as well. You know, just saying like, all right, from this time to this time, I'm doing this that, and then um, it feels nice when when you can stick to it for a little bit because it's like, wow, look, you know, I I planned this perfect day where at, by the end of it, if I stick to it, you know, I'd get A B C and D done, and if I stick to it, look, I got A B C and D done. But uh, like you said, you know, as a freelancer, you know, things are going to pop up. And even further than that, as a voiceover freelancer, I think, you know, there's other sorts of freelance work that maybe does lend itself a little bit better to having some sort of scheduled blocks for your day. But um, voiceover, it does make it tough because you do got to be flexible. And like you said, you might get an audition or something. Yeah. I mean, if I was a graphics designer and and I all of my work was from my uh-huh. house and I never really had to answer to anybody or go anywhere or do anything, then yeah, I'm sure I could structure, you exactly. know, I'm going to draw from this yeah. time or I'm going to design from this time. But there's, you know, there's always, I, I have to be on the phone with somebody, even from my home studio for a phone patch or an ISDN session or whatever, or yeah. travel. So, you know, we don't, I don't, I, I don't have the, the freedom to always structure everything. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, I think it's maybe something worth experimenting with from time to time and seeing if you can, but um, experimenting with it and, you know, keeping in mind that, okay, I'm going to schedule my day, but like scheduling some flex time or something in there. Cause you got to kind of anticipate that, Hey, you know, likely going to get an email i'm likely going to get an audition i'm likely going to get a job or something that's going to take me out of this schedule for a bit right but um yeah and how much do you know like if you had a ballpark at about how much time would you say you spend auditioning on either like a daily or weekly basis do you kind of know like hours wise i would say maybe an hour and a half a day two hours okay and you can get yeah i used to time it i don't remember what i (laughs) yeah but and you could do your 40 or so in that time Sure. You can pretty much yeah. knock them out. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's really fast, uh, like time per audition uh, ratio. Because I know I actually spoke with J. Michael Collins about the same thing, and I think his number was somewhere around five minutes for at least for casting site auditions. Per per audition. Per audition, he says he tries not to go over five uh, five minutes tops. Yeah, I try not to go over a minute if I can manage it. That's amazing. Yeah. So and that includes recording and editing it. Yeah, I mean, if I give him thirty sec a thirty second read, and only takes ten seconds to mark yeah. the file. If you don't make mistakes, sure. Down. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so kind of being really great at cold reading and getting stuff in one take, obviously, I would assume. That is definitely a skill for me is I'm I'm a very good cold reader. Yeah, and that's, I would say, probably for people who aren't a good skill to get better at and to, you know, read, uh, you know, read more stuff just off the cuff. I mean, like I've done I've done over 30,000 auditions on 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 casting sites in the last four years. Yeah. So that's a lot of repetition. Yeah. And you get better as you go, I would assume. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, my last question for you is you are currently a union talent. Is that correct? 
technically I'm financial core. So okay, that's gotcha. a, a special category of, it's called a fee paying non-member. So I'm actually not eligible to go for a lot of like union uh, events. Mm-hmm. I can't vote. I can't serve on the board. I can't go to like um, the voiceover lab, the, you know, the whatever it's called, Don LaFontaine voiceover mm-hmm. lab that's sponsored by SAG. So I do lose a, a little bit of benefits, but uh, as a financial core member, it is legal for you to work on both union and non-union work. Okay. Yeah. And that's big, right? Because if you're somebody who started as non-union and you have a nice client base and you have, you know, nice sources of income that are non-union, I think you, if you went full union, you would probably lose, you know, technically lose that, right? You're not really supposed to be working non-union if you're a full Correct. union member. Yeah, yeah. If you're a full union member, you are not supposed to work on non-union stuff. Um, yeah. Had I, when I joined the union based like even after the first year of being in the union, I would have taken like a 90% pay cut mm-hmm. um, just because yeah, the, the union, the union work wasn't, um, it just wasn't there for me. Uh, right. I hadn't, I wasn't in LA yet. Um, I wasn't making connections and, and even, even now full union stuff doesn't necessarily make up a huge part of my income. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so what I would was... love it. I would love it to, to be there, but you know, it yeah. takes time and FICOR allows me to kind of like make that transition rather than all of a sudden fire all of my clients, right. which is not economically viable. Yeah, it's a smoother transition from the non-union to the union world as opposed to just Correct. jumping all in and just losing everything. So was your decision behind doing that in the first place and just not staying non-union, was that because you're sort of um, you know, pursuing more of this work that's going to fall under union work, stuff like the animation and the video game and that kind of thing? Exactly. That's okay. exactly why. Um, I knew that if I was going to go to LA, you know, like all the, a lot of the LA work is union, particularly animation. And even to many extent, now that the strike is over, thank God, the video game mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and the, the, the pay structure for um, union commercials, it's much more advantageous from an actor perspective. Although some non-union commercial are starting, like commercial companies are, are attempting to rectify that by employing the same kind of pricing structure. But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt that the union will remain the gatekeeper for larger, higher paying voiceover jobs. Right. Uh, and if that's the, the route you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and as like a FICOR member, do you still get like health benefits and that sort of thing? Or is it just strictly you could work some union jobs and you can work non-union and that's it and that's all you're getting? No, I do still get health benefits okay, as, long as, great, I yeah. quali- as long as I qualify by earning enough of union money. Ah, OK, gotcha. So, yeah. OK, so there's some like, you know, regulations and things there. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Because I know that's a, you know, that's a tricky thing for people, um, you know, as they're going along in their career, most people, you know, are going to obviously start non-union. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tough decision. Do I want to, which route do I want to go? And uh, it is. Yeah. And it's a sensitive issue for a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of like, um, just really high passions when it comes to yeah. being a union or being a non-union member or working off the card. I, and uh, a lot of people don't just say it like, my, my opinion is you got to do what's good for you. Is Like you have to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You do what you, you do what you have to do. And if you're going to work FICOR um, or if you're going to work off the card, the great thing about the union is that it protects the rates of voiceover, right? It keeps the rates honest. Yeah. If you're going to go FICOR or if you're going to be non-union, the onus is now on you to protect the industry. Exactly. Don't work yeah. for crap rates. No $300 Don't, national commercials. No, yeah. Do not <laughs> engage in broadcast buyouts. You know, protect yourself and and be educated enough to protect yourself and protect the industry. Um, many of the, of the non-union stuff I do, I won't do unless it's at union scale or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I protect myself and protect the industry, even if I'm working non-union projects. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Um, yeah, so let's, before we jump into our audience questions, I just want to speak a little bit about some of your other endeavors. So in addition to voiceover, you're also an author and uh, you have a trilogy of books, I believe, that you're working on. Can you just talk a little bit about, yeah, about your, you know, yourself as an author and uh, what these books are about? Sure, yeah. It, being an author was kind of an interesting thing for me. I always thought that my books were going to be the thing that took me out of, you know, a day job. Um, mm-hmm. I had been writing seriously since like 2010. I published okay. maybe a dozen short stories in, in various magazines and anthologies and stuff like that. Uh, and then around 2013, I ended up getting represented by an agency for one of my novels nice. um, called Death Bear and the Snuggle of Doom. <laughs> which is exactly exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the kids book? A, no, it was a very ridiculous. Uh, it was like a zany screwball fantasy. Oh, uh, that's funny. Because I had just got done writing this like super serious epic fantasy. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Book and like I didn't even submit it because I to any agents because I was like this was such a slog. It was like two hundred fifty thousand words and mm. um, I was like screw it. I'm gonna write something really stupid. <laughs> and so I did. And uh, it got picked up by, wow. <laughs> by, by the biggest <laughs> science awesome. fiction and yeah, fantasy agency in, in New York City. Wow. And uh, um, we actually, it was too weird. We couldn't sell it mm-hmm. um, to any publisher. Uh, and that was, that was 2013. 2014, one of the publishers that really liked that book but couldn't sell the rest of the team on it okay. um, came back to me and was like, hey, you obviously can write. Um, you're obviously funny and you were in the military. We're looking for somebody to write something that's a military science fiction that's funny. Could you pitch something? And I said, okay. Uh, so yeah. I actually uh, I actually sold my first novel based on a pitch, which is a little backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it worked out for me because the, the editor had seen my work before. So eventually what happened is I uh, ended up selling a trilogy of this science fiction these science fiction books to an imprint of Simon and Schuster. So now I'm under contract for three books. The first book is Mechanical Failure, which came out last June. Got compared to Terry Pratchett and uh, Catch Twenty Two and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. which is um, was pretty nice to hear. It's very very loosely based on my own experiences in the military, only in that like many of the personalities and the f- weird situations that I extrapolate on were things that actually happened to me or people I knew. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's a ton of fun. It's, it's so not serious. It's a, a way for me to kind of like lampoon the bureaucratic war machine of the United <laughs> States military. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's, it's great. Second book is coming out this, um, November and then the third book comes out next year and I get to narrate all of them. So I get to read. Ah, there you go. Books. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so actually, audiobook yeah, versions, mechanical yeah. failure is up for two voice arts awards this year. So wow, congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, so yeah, yeah there's, there's the author side. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, no, that's all really, really cool. Um, yeah, there'll be links in the show notes for you guys if you want to check those out. And so w- just another quick question about that. So were you with that first book, um, were you sort of pitching it around to like publishers and stuff or just kind of they came to you, they found it, they found you? How did that sort of work? With the, the Death Bear book? Yeah, 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 with that book. So yeah, the way it goes in traditional publishing is that you'll you'll pitch an agent, the agent will represent you, you'll sign with that agency. And then it's the agent's job to go use his connections at all the different publishers and say, Hey, I've got this book. I think it's really great. Here's blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. Will you buy it? So yeah, we, we pitched that to a ton of people. Um, and we got a couple of, of nibbles, but nothing. I still think it'll get published someday. Once maybe I, I'm a little more established and I'm not seen as such a risk. Cause it was, it was goofy. Nobody, nobody writes screwball fantasy <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. 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 And I mean, once um, the other books yeah. are out and you know, they're successful. Yeah. Then yeah. they might want to take a second look. 
Cool. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's jump into our audience questions for this episode. And uh, let's start with our performance question for the week, which comes from Lisa. And Lisa asks, what are some ways and some things I can do on my own without a coach to improve my performance abilities and skills as a talent? And uh, yeah, I think this is a good question uh, for both of us because I think we both kind of did this. But um, yeah, let's take the first stab at it. What do you think? Read and listen. I mean, like I, like I said earlier, um, I have failed at voiceover over 30,000 times. Uh, so, but each, each of those 30,000 times educated me on something. Mm-hmm. It got me a better cold reading. It got me understanding how to interpret a script. Uh, so read, read out loud. Get better at reading. Take a class in um, uh, take a class in audio production. Yeah, if you don't know what an mm-hmm. EQ or a compressor is, uh, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, you could transcribe stuff from national commercials and sort of like mimic that tone. I know a lot of people that that get uh, good at characters that way. Yeah, or you could join join a workout group. Join, but but really, like any way you can find to read copy and listen to other people reading copy. Uh, yeah. to improve your taste, do it. Yep. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is just do it as much as possible. Um, I like that idea a lot of just listening to real commercials that are out there because these are people who are obviously booking high-level jobs. So listen, what are they doing? Because they're doing things right. Uh, you know, you can get, you can sort of transcribe it, get the scripts, you know, practice along, record yourself, you know, listen back to yourself. Um, you know, hear, yeah, hear what it sounds like when you're recording. And, you know, and like Joe mentioned, you do have to sort of be an audio engineer, at least of a decent skill set. Um, so, you know, get comfortable with that stuff. Practice that in the same way that you practice your performance. And uh, as you know, you're, you're selling your your voice talent as a product. And part of that product is your actual audio quality. It's not just your performance skills. The, per- the performance is the biggest part of it, in my opinion. But, yeah. um, you know, the audio quality definitely comes into play. Workout groups, um, there's a lot of forums and communities out there. Interact with other people who are a little bit more advanced than you are. Things like this. Listen to a podcast. Listen, you know, there's a lot of online self-education you can do. Books, YouTube channels, that sort of things. Um, Mock auditions could be great. We do that on the show from time to time. And uh, Edge Studio does that. So those are a great way to sort of get some feedback on auditions. And uh, yeah, just going back to our first point, just do it. Just do it as much as possible. You know, read as much as possible, record yourself as much as possible, listen as much as possible. And uh, yeah, and I think that's all great ways to sort of take things further. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could read you could read as much information you want about rock climbing, but if the first thing you do is try to climb El Capitan <laughs> in Yosemite, you're going to fall. Yeah. So go, go do, you know, go do. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I uh, hope that helps, Lisa. Thank you so much for the question. And uh, yeah, let's move on to our audio question, which this week comes from Roger. And Roger asks, once I set up a proper home studio and have a good sound, is it necessary to continue to review and update it? And if so, how often should I be doing this? And what sort of things do I look or listen for? So yeah, what's your take on that one? I think there is a threshold of quality that once you pass, you should never change it. Mm-hmm. Um and like so for me my my chain is a Sennheiser MKH416 into an Avalon 737 into a Focusrite right the 737 and the 416 the mic and preamp there are pretty much the industry standards you walk into any studio in Los Angeles and they've probably got one and they're probably using it when they're recording you right mm-hmm. together that's about $3000 worth of stuff in the grand scheme of things not very expensive when you're talking about you know a career right that, right you know, the while I was getting to this point, I tried a lot of other things that weren't as expensive 
And so like I would book more work and then I would sort of change and then I would book more work and then I would change and then I finally settled on, you know, basically what everybody uses. That can cause problems if you're always updating stuff because a client will come back to you after three months and be like, oh, I need a sentence mm-hmm, of this. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, crap, I don't have that microphone. Anymore. Yeah. Um, and it becomes impossible to match it. And that can just get annoying. Um, also, I think, you know, if, if you've got a solid sound uh, after that, what I what I said before, the threshold of quality, nobody cares. Nobody cares if they're like, oh, the high end is a little <laughs> sparkly uh, when you do such and such. No one cares. No one cares. Yeah. Um, get something that sounds great and never touch it. I've been using the same preset EQ and compressor for three years. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, if you're not getting bad feedback from anybody, I mean, obviously, if somebody's like, hey, man, what's going on with this or that? And you're getting some bad feedback for sure. You're going to look at it. But, um, you know, it's a good sign if you've been going along for a little while and there is really like no news is good news. Like if, you know, people aren't complaining about your audio quality and you're booking, then, uh, you know, that's a good sign and that you're probably doing some things right. Um, if you're start someone who's starting out and you're, you know, you've got not necessarily like cheap gear, but you've got, you know, lower budget gear. I think in that case, it could be okay, you know, maybe once a year or whatever, just to sort of say, well, am I at the, you know, am I ready now? Am I at the point where I could put a little money into a better mic or a better preamp or a better this or that? Right. Um, you know, to sort of grow to the point where now you're at, okay, now I have really, you know, top level gear. My audio sounds great. I've been booking with this, uh, with this setup that I have. And um, yeah, you know, I think once you're at that point, you can pretty much stay there for a while. And, you know, like Joe said, if somebody comes back to you months later, a year later, you want to be able to record, uh, you know, in the same space and in the same, with the same mic and the same setup, because it happens. I mean, I've definitely gotten pickup requests and revision requests after a year or more. It's kind of strange to think about, like, we're like, really, you need me to do this line again a year later? But it, it happens. It d- definitely does. So, um, even if you were somebody who upgraded, I wouldn't say throw out that mic, you know, have it as an option that you could still, you know, pull that back up if you should need to. I've like, I've, I've changed my templates around a little bit over the years. And when I'll, I'll still go back and have to do pickups and stuff, or just sort of like new versions of some projects that I've worked on a year ago, two years ago, and I'll record them with the old template that I'm no longer using just because, you know, that's what I recorded that with. And I don't want to have to mess around with any real technical stuff to get stuff to be smooth and sound consistent and even. So, um, yeah, you know, once once you're at a pretty good level and things are going well for you, I think you could probably stay there for a bit. And if you're somebody who's new and starting out, then for sure, then assess and, you know, decide when it's the right time to put some money back yeah. into your studio and grow. Yeah, so great. So uh, thank you so much for the question, Roger. And our final question for this week will be our business question, which comes from Cecily. And Cecily asks, I've recently read many disheartening things about some online casting sites, and I was hoping to one day join one of these sites, but now I'm beginning to think that a membership is practically useless. What's your take, and have I heard wrong? So, uh, yeah, I'll let you take the first shot at that one. Yeah, a touchy issue for everybody, especially yeah. <laughs> um, considering the recent acquisition of VoiceBank by Voices.com, mm-hmm. which had everybody kind of up in arms. Um, you know, for me, I started on Voices.com and I expanded to a couple of other sites that I found worthwhile. I was able to start with $300 worth of equipment and a $40 a month membership and start making money. So it's not practically useless um, to join one of the sites and, and go for it. Even if you're, you know, you're reading X amount of copy a day, you're getting practice um, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know really like 
it's hard for me to assess whether somebody new can do what I did, which was basically come in with nothing. Mm -hmm. And then less than three years later, I was the top booking talent on both of the sites, uh, or at least one of them, one of the top booking talent on both of the sites. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that, you know, like, because the structures of both sites have changed. I really don't know. I don't know how to make that assessment, but it's, it's part of your business. You know, all, all the parts of your business, you're going to invest time and money and energy, whether it's cold emailing, something with which I have never had any success at all. Hmm. Um, and, you know, like going to networking things and, and agents and stuff like that. Try it all. See what works for you. Right. Um, you know, if you, can't, if you can't afford the time and energy for that investment, it's probably not a good idea. To, to take the risk if you're going to, you know, take food out of your family's mouths. In my case, when I started, I had a very stable government job. So every dollar I, I earned with voiceover could go back into either equipment or memberships to sites or, you know, eventually coaching or, you know, like a sound booth and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, ultimately do what's right for your business. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, sort of what you hear on this topic a lot, and I think it's the, you hear it so much because the correct advice is that it, all of these online casting sites and, um, you know, different sort of P2P sites, whatever, they're just part of your overall marketing, your overall way of getting work. They shouldn't be the sole focus of it. They can be if they, you know, there's something that you try out and then, oh, look, these other things aren't working, but this is, and you start devoting more time and resources towards that. I think that's a good strategy. But, um, you know, especially when you're starting out, you should be trying different things and seeing what works for you and what doesn't. Like, it's funny, I, I didn't even know that uh, you've never had success with cold emailing, but I know a lot of people have. Um, Let I me myself caveat have, that you know. by saying that I never had to cold email and I don't uh, okay. still have to. Okay. I've only recently started experimenting with it as part of my marketing plan. Sure, sure. 100% of my clients was mostly from either people contacting me, contact me directly or me pulling them off of pay-to-play sites and then becoming return clients. Gotcha, gotcha. So, and did they find you, like the people who contacted you directly they just find your website on like a google search or something like that yeah i might get uh, three or four different pitches from people in, in any given week directly from my website cool and did you ever ever like look into seo or put some conscious effort into that or you kind of just have a good website that's up there so if they find you you know they'll like you yeah i, I don't really put anything into seo generation no okay cool cool but um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, back to Cecily's question, just, yeah, you know, I don't think it is practically useless. Um, like Joe, myself, I also started on Voices.com and uh, got my first jobs there and got my first repeat clients there who I still do work for today from there. Um, so, uh, you know, like like has been mentioned, the landscape has changed and the way that these sites work has changed. So it's not exactly the same for somebody to just join the site brand new today as it was when myself or when Joe joined it. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's worth a shot to to try it. I would say that there's a lot of people on these casting sites. There's first of all, there's a lot of talent on these sites. Um, and when somebody casts a job on them, I've casted projects on these sites too. So um, I could tell you when you're getting auditions, a lot of them right off the bat are just not making the cut because they're for whatever reason the audio quality is not there, the performance quality is not there, both are not there, or just. Um, you know, so a lot of them are just falling off right at the beginning. So I would say, don't be one of those people. Cause then I think, yeah, you know, you could probably spend your time better. So be ready skill wise, be ready audio wise, um, have nice demos, um, you know, put some time into setting up your profile, 
so that people on these sites are finding you. You're going to pay money for this membership. So get the most out of that money. Like any money you're going to spend on your business, you should want to get the most out of it. So I'd say get yourself to a point where you're ready uh, to actually compete on those sites and not just be on them. Um, I think that's a worthwhile point to make. And a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a good thing to try out. And if you're not successful after you've given it a shot, you know, try other things and hopefully you'll find success in another marketing method. Then that's where you direct your energy and your effort. But uh, yeah, any other points on that one, Joe? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you so much uh, for the question, Cecily. It's definitely a timely question and something that uh, I think a lot of people struggle with uh, throughout their career. So yeah, that is going to do it for our audience questions and for our episode. Uh, Joe, do you have any closing points about anything that we've talked about or anything that we didn't talk about on this episode? I don't think I do. Okay. Yeah. Don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job until you've been doing it for a while and you, you can you can compare the numbers. That's a good point. I know a lot no, of people is... like to like dive into their dreams and, and, yeah, and quit yeah. everything and move to Los Angeles, but yep. I don't know. I think the best way to be successful in Los Angeles is to be successful before you get to Los Angeles. <laughs> no, that's actually, that's a great point. Um, I am a big proponent of that myself, sort of just, you know, you know, having some proof of concept, if you will, before you sort of jump all in, Definitely. you know, show yourself that you can get some money. Uh, that's what I did too. I, I worked for, um, I think it was a little over a full year at, I was still working at a full-time office job doing voiceover stuff nights and weekends until I was generating enough money from it where I felt comfortable, you know, taking the leap to full-time. And everybody's going to have their own sort of path and their own way that they go about it. Um, there's no like, you do A, B, and C, and then you're a successful voice talent. You know, everybody has their own way of getting there. But I think yeah. that that's a good way. And, you know, obviously I think you agree because you did something similar is, is, you know, just building it up in the time that you do have outside of your full-time work to, you know, where you've had some proof and you have some, you know, some confidence that this is something that can work out for you. Yep. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, so, yeah. So, Joe, uh, this is this has been great. Uh, a lot of great info for people just starting out, people who have already had some success. Uh, I think people can get a lot out of this episode. I did myself. So, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you again so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, again, a reminder uh, in the show notes for this episode, you guys can find links to the things that Joe and myself talked about, as well as his books, as well as you can listen to the episode there. And I would suggest you go over and check that out. And you can see that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 009. And thank you again to Joe. And we will see all you guys in episode 10. Talk soon. So long. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you again so much to Joe for coming on the show. Lots of great tips and advice there. So again, really appreciate it. If you guys want to check out the show notes, you can get them at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 009. And if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And if you like the show, please go ahead and leave a rating and a review on iTunes. And you can also get the show on YouTube and on the Voice Over Roadmap website. So thank you guys again so much for listening. And we'll see you next week in episode 10.